that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interfucking rough. Disconnected by your smile, it's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia Hill. I'm Pat O'Brien, and your boys are back. What can we say? We're here to. What can we say? Yeah, what are we supposed to say for ourselves? We're here to round out our coverage, as we'll call it. We're sort of newscasters in a way mm-hmm. of the Aeroplane Flies High box set. And tonight, or should I say today, or whatever time you're listening to it, we're doing the Tonight Tonight single, baby. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also be doing the 33 single as well. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Both of those. <laughs> Uh-oh, Pat, did you prepare? Ah, go. Cool. <laughs> Give me for a second. half the test. No, I proudly listened to both of them, which <laughs> was really fun because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't um, listened to these two in a while. Yeah. And especially the 33 single I hadn't really listened to. Um, but it was great. These these songs, like like the rest of them, are seared into my my brain and my body. So it was, yeah, it was great. It was great dusting them off. Awesome. Yeah. So your experience with the singles, did you happen to get these singles when they came out or did you get them with the Airplane Flies High? I got them all with the box set. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience with them, and I realized this again listening to it, was the um, the 33 single I really hadn't listened to a lot of those songs in a while. Yeah. Um, but the Tonight Tonight single was always... Um, that was always kind of, that remained in my heavy heavy rotation for years and years after uh-huh. you know getting it. So that that you know it had been a while since I dug into a lot of those songs recently. But um, yeah, the, the you know they they're all um, they're all very important to me, or at least at least all the songs off of Tonight Tonight and and most of them off of. Um, 33 but it had been so long that there were a couple on there that i um that i hadn't even thought about in years yeah yeah i think uh oh just a warning uh for this episode listeners uh you're probably gonna hear about our 14 and 12 year old selves skipping certain tracks so uh please do not get upset about it if you hear that just know (laughs) that we will give our perspective of now of how we feel about the songs now please do Mm -hmm. not hold it against our younger selves for saying if we skipped something yeah we were just kids trigger just kids we didn't know any better okay yeah we didn't know we didn't know we'd be hosting a podcast about this how could we they didn't they didn't exist iPods didn't exist, so the very name wouldn't even make sense. Back then, you'd listen to something called the radio. Yeah, we'd listen to uh, 103.3 The Edge, Shred and Reagan in the morning. That was the name of our our duo on the alternative um, station, the morning crew, zoo crew, oh, Shred yeah. and Reagan. And then my dad, <laughs> my dad once... Um, my dad once had jury duty with either Shred or Reagan. <laughs> I forget which one, but he told me all about it. And of course, he he was the um, the spokesman for the rest of the jurors. So you know, you oh. got you got a radio host. You got to use those those, those pipes. pipes. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the names of your guy, your your oh, crew on the alternative station? If you no, had one, I 
uh, not off the top of my head in Dallas because it was either uh, 97.1 The Eagle, which was more of the hard rock station. Oh. And then we had 102.1 The Edge, which used to be like 94 or 5, I think, and then it changed. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember who the morning hosts were. I just remember on The Eagle, we had a, a DJ, a really cool DJ that was kind of like a very respected older DJ by the name of Redbeard. Oh, nice. And then um, on Sunday nights, we'd have a really great like independent show uh, on the edge called uh, The Adventure Club uh, with Josh Venable. And uh, that that's where I, my exposure to a lot of like indie stuff was, that in 120 mm. minutes. Right, uh, yeah. But, I, but they weren't like crass personalities at all <laughs> you know right uh, yeah but i can't remember there was always like the the crass morning crew uh, like you would always hear it in the morning when you're traveling with your babysitter or you know whatever mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> i i remember when paul rubens was arrested they would always have these like really terrible um like song parodies they would do like really crass and bad like weird owl type of song mm-hmm. parodies and they had one when paul rubens was arrested where he was singing the divinals uh touch myself oh pretty clever yeah. <laughs> sort of a sort of uh, an a to a parody there it's like the song's already about that <laughs> Yeah, the original song is already about just you know really top tier comedy stuff. Um, oh yeah, 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 top shelf stuff. Just yeah. top shelf stuff. Uh, anyway, <laughs> these singles, uh, the airplane flies high. Someday we'll um, maybe in the new year for interested listeners, we'll start introducing parody songs or something. Oh know. yeah, we'll yeah. That's exactly what I want to do is parodies of my favorite pumpkin songs. Yeah, uh, kind of ruin them. For- <laughs> just make them awful. <laughs> just ruin. That's what I'm interested in doing. Okay, Pat. Well, how do you? Uh, what do you say we uh, get started here? Let's do it. Let's dive in. So the first single that we're going to cover is the Tonight Tonight single, and the first track off of that is Tonight Tonight. We've already talked about this in past eps multiple times, actually. It was probably like the fourth time we talked about this song. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Pat, I think you had like a little interesting tidbit about yeah, this. Yeah, I, I was just reading some new interviews and articles and stuff with Billy and, the, uh, you know, about the Seer album. And he just met, he had, it was a, it was an interview that was sort of asking, like, best, what's your opinion of best pumpkin song for X? Like best pumpkin song for like wrestling intro, but pumpkin song that it's changed meaning for you the most over the years. And he mentioned tonight, tonight, which I just thought I'd mention because he kind of, we talked about this in one of the episodes about how, you know, Frank and I have talked about how tonight, tonight we sort of, um, take at face value as you know, in sort of an uplifting way, but Billy has hinted or mentioned that it's not, you know, wasn't quite intended that way but anyway he was asked but um 
the the music video that changed the meaning of a song most for you and he said tonight tonight um and he says quote it's sort of it sort of sentimentalized something that i maybe wouldn't have gone out of my way to do now that it exists i sort of see it that way i think dire- the directors jonathan dayton and valerie ferris did a good job um i think it framed something about the song that made it sort of more universal or sweeter than I might have done. I appreciate that in hindsight, but at the time I didn't understand it. If you think of the lyrical connotation of the song, the person is asking someone else to believe in them. I'm not saying thank you for believing in me. I'm saying, could you believe in me or would you believe in me? There's still the tension of, is this going to happen? So just a little current mention of the song and how, you know, the the video, which is so tied to it you know yeah. in my mind um kind of changed it in billy's mind so food for thought yeah and it is funny he's he's right about how like as far as like how i, I guarantee if you mention the name the smashing pumpkins to anybody on the street their visual of the smashing pumpkins are going to be from that video mm-hmm. yeah more often than not when they think smashing pumpkins they see the way that they look in that video yeah yeah and in a way i do too i mean that's not true i'm you know but in a way if you had to you know like we talked about in the melancholy album episode yeah that video is at the very least the sort of visual encapsulation of melancholy what it feels you know the the album and that album is sort of the go-to you know the arguably the sort of biggest moment in the pumpkin's career so yeah it makes sense you know interesting little tidbit yeah i think i mean we've already covered a lot of what uh how i feel about it like you know i used it in my wedding um it's still the song still makes me feel hopeful and amazing even though it has this kind of dark undercurrent to it but even if you consider the dark undercurrent of it it still has um a sweetness to it it still has a hope kind of to it It, it, you know that feeling when you're younger and you're or when you're starting to date someone and you have this like hope of where it could go or where it could lead to and you do put your trust in them you do want them to believe in you so that way you Mm -hmm. can continue and you know you either meet up to it or you don't you know and i think that kind of sentiment is very much lives in this song um and i love it i mean it's just uh, maybe i'm basic for loving it so much but it's still one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time and I still think that there is a new wave element to it if you just strip it down to the guitar. If you really listen, I think that it does have this cool kind of new wave uh, feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I feel like now with the new Sear album and knowing how all of those you know that that billy's process is that everything kind of starts from the ground up of like a piano you know yeah. a very basic piano or possibly well piano i think but yeah. he works piano out all guitar. these songs yeah on, on piano or acoustic or whatever so it's like you know it, where it goes from there the sort of coats of paint that it gets it could go in any direction including yeah. a more recognizable new wave uh, Which version i really love like it's something that with the new album is kind of really painted again we, we benefited from going from the demos to now uh to where we are with this episode and then hearing the new album in that context and it really is and hearing him talk about it, it it's really interesting to be like yeah you're right at the core of it 
it's a very simple song and then it just builds out from there and i think that's Mm -hmm. what was kind of missing we'll talk about this in our first impressions here episode which will be long already passed by the time this episode comes out right. uh, a little peek behind the curtain we're we're recording this a little bit of like maybe a month ahead of time because we need a break um but uh i i feel like knowing that process makes me appreciate these songs even more of just being like oh yeah at the simple chord there's a song and then it just builds out from there and it's something i think that was maybe missing from maybe some of the more recent stuff especially for the shiny volume one um mm-hmm. where by design it was built that way that he wouldn't have as much time that it was just go and record right it's no fault of his or the album but i do feel like you get to get the true pumpkin sense of that work ethic that goes into it with the new album and it definitely appears on like a song like tonight tonight and like even some Mm -hmm. of these other demos we're about to talk about yeah definitely and speaking of these other songs we're about to talk about the next song on this little uh, CD is Melodory Magpie. And on a doorstep, I saw that I was blind, I forsaken. What was that? What it mattered? Matter little now. We had shattered. What's Melodory Magpie, a.k.a. Doorstep. Uh, It was originally recorded with the full band during Siamese Dream Sessions under the title Doorstep. Quiet and Other Songs Demo is where you can find that version of the song. Billy says, another, believe it or not, this leftover from Siamese Dream was written in a last-minute crunch. Butch Vig never thought much of it, but it is one of my secret favorites, a simple song of innocence that has double-tracked, finger-picked acoustic and drum machine and was recorded at home. And he said that in the 1997 uh, Guitar World interview. Um, And yeah, uh, again, we get all these sources from spfc.org, spcodex.wiki, and uh yeah and wikipedia in general <laughs> yes good old wikipedia um yeah this is a, i don't know about you frank but this uh, this is a secret favorite of of mine too even if i hadn't fully remembered that it was um mm. i love the i love um the sort of drunken slide guitar sound the like you know it's there's yeah. it's, there's like a wooziness to it the thumping um the just like the dry sort of thumping drum beat out of the gate is just really yeah it's just a really sweet kind of um not not fully sweet it's it's yeah bittersweet kind of odd little ditty um that that i guess on this listen maybe sounds like it was um 
sort of about the end of marriage, uh, his marriage. I, I'm not totally sure, but it had definitely had, um, it had, you know, that feeling to it about like, you know, the end of, of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I always appreciated the scrappiness of it. it. It just feels so loose and fun. And it's kind of like the marriage between tonight, tonight and Lily. Mm-hmm. to me yeah as far as like the styles go and it just kind of i like how loose it is and some of the fun vocals too because you can tell he's like you know serving it up in a certain way as well mm-hmm. uh that matches kind of the looseness of the guitar parts and um i i think sometimes it would uh when i was younger the slide would get annoying to me uh but over time it just felt like it added charm to it mm-hmm. you know for when i listen to it now and um yeah, I always, uh, this one was always a, kind of like a little fun, uh, like I said, kind of quirky little ditty that I could, I really enjoy now. Mm-hmm. I think I can appreciate more now than I did when it came out. Uh, what is a magpie? Uh, I think it's a bug, but also a dessert. Magpie, the mag, let me see, magpie. The Magnum P.I., Oh, that's what he's trying to do with that. You know how he does that with his his lyrics or like with his song titles? Oh, right. Magpie. Oh, it means something. He's saying, yeah, Maladori Magnum P.I. Right, which is sort of his secret muse. Um, Magnum P.I., I believe. Tom Selleck, remember? Right. Purple blood, blue (laughs) Blue bloods. Blue bloods, that's right. Yes. (laughs) We're sort of cracking the code here. If you guys are, you know, our longtime listeners will know (laughs) that there's a strong... Tom Selleck undercurrent to kind of all of the Pumpkins catalog and Soul. We're gonna records. find it. We'll find We're it. We find it. We pledge to find. A, we pledge to find a Magnum PI or Tom Selleck nod in everything yep. we um, review here. But it is a bird. It's a okay. magpies are birds. Uh, yeah, it's a bird. Pat, but what's ten. a maladory? Uh, you got me there. That's. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep asking you. That might be the a definitions of these. That might be a. Um, uh, abilism, malad, mal, 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 bad, Dory, finding Dory, um, yep. malady is a sickness. Maybe it's a sick fish. Oh. So a little bird and a sick fish. I don't know. I'm not sure what a maladory is, but I like the song. It's no Mandalorian, um, right? Yeah. Oh boy, I, I stink for saying that, uh, but I do love the show. Uh, well, speaking of uh, stinky, stinky. <laughs> There's nothing more stinky than a big old barrel of rotten apples. Dirty your face with longing and grace, God-given, suffer her heart and love her when your love goes on. Rotten Apples. Billy says, this is a home demo that I just didn't have the heart or energy to go back and record. I like the lyrics a lot, and if I had spent more time on it, it probably should have been on the album. It was written in the initial post-Lollapalooza batch with 33, Jupiter's Lament, uh, Methuselah, and Ugly of acoustically tinged songs. It has double-tracked, finger-picked guitar, all the better to hide those little mistakes with a few choice keyboard overdubs bleeding through the vocal mics. Uh, That was from the Guitar World 1997 interview, and it's a song that also appeared on the Sadlands 1994 demos. Uh, Pat, what do you think? I love this song. It's so sad. I remember all the lyrics, and I love the... 
I love the inflection of when he, he and love her when your love goes unrequited. And love her when your love goes unrequited. I love the yeah. vocal inflection. It's one of the saddest sounding uh, pumpkin songs in my book. It, it, and it, I love it for that reason. It really takes me back. Um, and it, it, yeah, it just takes me back to this whole disc being, you know, uh, in my heavy rotation for a long time. The final lyric, dust to dust, we're wired into sadness. Kind of sums it up. <laughs> kind of yeah. sums up, like, you know the pumpkin's sad vein that can really hook you, especially as a youth. Yeah, this is one that I would have on my pumpkin mixes for sure. Um, and I think that it's, it's, yeah, it's just such a pun intended, I guess, melancholy song, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and I, I like the production on it too. I like how rough the production is with the like little background vocals that are slightly delayed, and uh, especially like at 235, the background goes higher. Yes, yeah. And I just like that delay. There's like kind of something he plays with like, at that time with certain songs, he had these like kind of little delayed, mm-hmm. uh, fill, like they it shows up on 33 as well, but it, it's something that I thought was kind of a cool device that you could tell like kind of was uh, something he was like really kind of like toying with that I, mm-hmm. I really liked. Yeah, me too. I, I wrote down that it, I refer to it as a distant self-harmony because it's not, it's like very lonely sounding, yeah. you know, to be like harmonizing with this far away kind of pained yeah. you know, sounding version of yourself. All these are such lonely songs. And I think, I don't know if it's just because one of them refers to gray skies that we haven't gotten to yet, but they all remind me of like a gray, gray, day you know being like alone in a house on a gray gray day that's so funny that you mentioned that because it's interesting with his audio choices and again we started to keep mentioning seer but it's like it's kind of the same thing with seer with like the audio choices are telling a story Mm -hmm. without saying it within the lyrics right you know without kind of being beating it over the head like you have the context of the lyrics to make you feel a certain way and the tone of the song makes you feel a certain way but then little audio choices like what you just said with the background vocals Mm -hmm. kind of slightly distant in a way kind of adds to that melancholy that i think is really cool Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. Yeah, and that's why again and we'll you know not to keep well whatever everybody's excited about seer uh, you know or a lot of people it's it's that he's he the range of vocal um, stylings and sort of experimentation and just like going for it, even though it's different, it takes me back to th- this whole batch of melancholy era songs because it's scratching similar itches that, you know, it, 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 it that Billy's voice did for me then, you know, and that, yeah. Anyway, that little harmony, that little faraway harmony, it, I also noted as being one of my favorite little bits of this song yeah and i guess i don't know if it's mellotron or if they're using an electric cello um on this but Mm -hmm. i like that kind of scrappiness as well it's it's lo-fi i kind of wonder what it would have sounded like with the melancholy polish if that Mm -hmm. how much of this sound would have been retained right right yeah i mean mean? yeah and maybe you know i don't know I, i like I guess that's that is part of the charm of it is it's it's 
um, unpolished quality. But um, yeah, that's a good question because it's you could kind of see it on fitting on the album somewhere. For you sure. Know? Yeah, I could see it on the second the second disc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then the the lyric, the dark the darkened claws of death, is such a metal lyric. <laughs> I know. Right. I was like, yeah. Wow. The darkened claws of death. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. There's metal everywhere, even when you don't think you're hearing metal. That's right, kids. Metal is everywhere. Metal is everywhere. It's all around you. It's in the air you breathe. It's in the products you buy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's in the paint uh, on your wall. <laughs> Good old American metal. <laughs> buy war bonds. <laughs> Uh, oh man, you know, uh, there's a lot of ups and downs that this year has had, but one thing is for sure, I certainly felt a lament. Perhaps it's Jupiter's lament. You might say it's Jupiter's lament. <laughs> you might say, oh boy, you know, we're really stretching on these. Uh, uh, we apologize, <laughs> listeners. It's we been a long year not. and we're trying, you <laughs> we're, know. We're doing our best, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, Jupiter's lament. So Billy says, uh, this was supposed to. This is supposed to be the melancholy gospel song. And a rough version even exists with all the band members singing. Ah, this version is my home demo cut on the same morning as Stumbleen. Um, and then, you know, we know later that, uh, Billy would name his firstborn child, Augustus Jupiter Corgan with two P's in Jupiter. Mm -hmm. So on, uh, genius.com, there was this note on here that said Jupiter's lament seems to be told from the perspective of an immortal being, a narrative Corgan would indulge in once again with the lead single off the pumpkins next album, Adore. While the narrator is clearly unhappy to part ways with his lover, he is also glad to break free from the mortal world and return to whence he came. The track was originally recorded in the fall of 1994 in Corgan's home studio as a solo acoustic piece. It was later recorded the following year at Chicago Recording Company with a full band singing and is known as the Barbershop version. It is one of the many outtakes originally slated for the melancholy and infinite sadness. It finally landed as a B-side for the Tonight Tonight single, which we're covering right now. Why did I read that? I don't know, but it is part of the 1995 Soundworks demo. There you go. Well, that's interesting. I I didn't know that there were um, uh, plans to make this a a gospel-y song. That's really interesting. I wouldn't wouldn't have... I mean, this is just so burned into my mind as as a stripped-down you know, uh, little, you know, bathroom demo. Did you record some of these in the bathroom or am I making that up? I mean, maybe that's something that you projected onto it and that you I wanted, think it but. is. <laughs> I think for years I have projected that some of these were recorded in a bathroom, but yeah. it, I feel like maybe it's based on something I read years ago, but maybe anyway. but it has that sound. 
you know? It does, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was, yeah. Maybe I'm obsessed with <laughs> bathrooms. I don't know. <laughs> You're obsessed with bathroom recordings. Right, uh, yeah. Pat's bathroom recordings mixtape. Yeah, which maybe I'll make. Um, no, don't threaten me with a good time. Um <laughs> <laughs> I always love the simplicity of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that uh, it's breezy. It's just kind of stripped down, and it's another reminder of how good Billy is just with an acoustic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just so... I, I just love the stripped-down version, like, uh, elements of this. And it's, it's a good reminder of just being like, yeah, Corgan is excellent with just an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know... I just uh, like think about how you know, like listening to this song as a twelve-year-old or whatever, and all of these songs, and just having access to all of these songs, like you know, pre-internet, like just without even questioning it, just hearing all these songs that are, you know, I, I never questioned these being finished. These were all finished products in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they all were supposed to sound exactly how they sound. But it's so it's it's I, I just I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of grateful. I guess that I was able <laughs> like to able to absorb along with you know the finished album tracks all these. I guess you could call them works in progress or or nuggets of ideas or just sort of you know stripped down not even stripped down like you know they were yet to be stripped up maybe in a a lot of cases but you know what I mean like without having I didn't have access to like a lot of you know um, I didn't have an older sibling with like you know cool bootlegs or anything but this was sort of that for me you know like having access to all these things was a little peek into the process before I even was you know conscious of like being interested in the process which i am now that's funny that you mentioned that because growing up when i was a teenager and into the pumpkins like really like uh started getting into the pumpkins i would see these bootlegs that would be like in these like kind of record shops or cd stores like your ucd shops and stuff like that and i just couldn't afford to buy these bootlegs mm-hmm. and then when the internet started becoming thing i didn't really get uh internet access until maybe my senior year mm-hmm. junior senior year of high school and of course we had dial up and stuff and at that time i think um napster was starting to kind of take off mm-hmm. and just maybe became a thing my senior year or, uh freshman year of college and and there were so many mislabeled things that I was unable to, and I wasn't on the boards as much to do the tape trading. Right. I remember one time I tried to do that, and they were like, "Great, what do you have to trade?" And I was like, "I don't have anything yeah. <laughs> to trade." And people were like, "No thanks." <laughs> um, you know who you are. Some of you may be listening now. Yeah, you denied me the joy of that. Um, we actually have. I mean, if people want to send us like bootlegs or live shows uh we had someone uh who graciously sent us all the cover songs yeah that's cool that the pumpkins have done um pat i don't know if you saw that but uh check out uh your email i know uh, i gotta <laughs> check the email more often yeah yeah if uh, you guys but, have anything that you feel you know it would be interesting to share definitely please that, that we're always interested in in uh you know something we haven't heard or something we haven't thought about you know right. in that context you know put together in context 
Absolutely. We have a Dropbox link we can send you, and you just upload it to there, and you're all good to go. Yeah, and we'll start to trade you. We can trade. You know, it might be like we might send you a loaf of bread or something. I don't know. It might not be music, yeah. but we'll, we'll, you know, a couple of shiny beads, you know, whatever. But also, isn't this podcast enough of a trade? Yeah, that's true. These, This is sort of our, our shiny beads that we're, we're offering. So we take that back. <laughs> for, sorry, you're going to have to, you're on your own for yeah, bread. Find your own bread. Uh, any other any final thoughts, Pat? Uh, no, no. I think that's, I think that's uh, that covers it for me. All right, you've seen her in her family reunion. You've seen her go to jail, but have you seen Medea of the Gray Skies? Okay, it's a Medea, <laughs> it's a Medea marathon. Okay, yeah, this is sort of the original Medea, um, which many say is where Tyler Perry, when he was living in his car, he was listening to this CD off of the Aeroplane Flies High, and he was like, "Wait a minute, I see a yeah. character here." That's true. Um, that's exactly. Uh, it's a fun fact, and don't look it up. Uh, don't don't debate it, up, it. Don't don't. Yeah, don't ask him about it. It's just true. No, please don't. He's a yeah. Don't he's a busy have, man. Yeah, he's he truly is. I mean, he's got a thousand shows and even you know two thousand movies he's working on. So he has an empire to run. Okay, he doesn't need you coming up to him asking about the Smasher Pumpkins for God's right. sake. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Medea of the Gray Skies. I always thought it was Med- Medelia because mm-hmm. I'm stupid. Uh, but uh, Medea of the Gray Skies is his uh, original titled, originally titled EP. This song was briefly considered for Melancholy as a companion piece to Porcelina of the Vast Oceans. I could never seem to finish the lyrics until right before it was recorded live with my pals from the Frogs. This song turned out much more beautiful than I dreamed possible, teaching me yet another lesson in spontaneity. Does that mean it was recorded with the frog? This this version was recorded with the frog. That's this is the frogs playing with them, or no? Or did I guess I so, because it says recorded live with my pals from the frogs. Unless uh, maybe Jimmy or them uh, from the frogs like recorded it. I'm not exactly sure. That's just what he says in the the Guitar World interview. Yeah, that's an interesting um, fun fact. I, I th- yeah, I like how this this though it's still intimate sounding. It's very. Um, far away sounding like jupiter's yeah. lament it, it sounds like you're you're um well not to bring up bathrooms again but in a small bathroom together you know it sounds there like it goes look we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have any flushing um toilet flushing sound effects well maybe we just well we want to you know this we mentioned morning zoo cruise so we're kind of like you know we got to get some bath- we're veering into it yeah some toilet humor but um yeah it, yeah it's it's Tonight, tonight, again, like, you know, perfectly placed in the company of Tonight, Tonight type songs. 
it feels all these songs yeah all I, I, I was thinking like by the time i got to this song on this this disc this ep it it really kind of feels like all of these are sort of one big song in a way you know what i mean yeah. like obviously it's bookended by tonight's versions of tonight tonight but everything in between it like flows like this night they all kind of like flow into each other and feel really connected to each other yeah um yeah more more so than any of these you know we've been covering all of these singles and more so than any other ones this does feel like one uh one big song including the zero you know the one big song on zero which is one big song but actually feels like you know kind of disconnected on purpose yeah, because of with pennies, it kind of like breaks the flow and the pastiche mm-hmm. breaks that flow as well. So I do feel like Zero was starting to get that, but I do feel like this especially is the most cohesive batch of like single with B-sides that all feel mm-hmm. like it's a continuation mm-hmm. in other like um, aspects of Tonight Tonight, like the other sides of it. It does create this kind of nice like little dome of uh, the Tonight Tonight sound or like mm-hmm. the quieter moments of melancholy for sure. That's a good yeah, observation. Definitely. Um, yeah, I just, you give me a room echo and I'm going to love it. You know, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. I love the way it sounds like it's re- him recording in a big empty room or a hallway, it, like that great hush delay vocals on the chorus. Like, it just all works so well. Like, I'm just such a sucker for that sound. Um, A lot of people would argue with me because, like, my favorite version of Company Calls Epilogue is the alternate version from the Forbidden Love EP uh, by Death Cab for Cutie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it has that kind of sound to it, it's got this very echoey uh, reverb sound to it. And people are like, no way, what are you talking about? The original is the best one. Like, no, give me that saturated echo reverb mm-hmm. sound and I'm like all about it. And I always loved the lyrics on it. It always felt so romantic. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm reading into it like kind of I did with Tonight Tonight. But um when he says like you're all i notice in a crowded room always like just stuck with me yeah as a teenager just being like wow this is so romantic mm-hmm. yeah it is it's definitely got a sadness to it but it does the the, pe- the little light touches of piano the piano is so beautiful on this like just the little tinkling I love like it. it's just such beautiful sparse use of piano i mean like the whole thing is like including what you were describing about the, just the, the sound, the room tone, if you will, you know, or the kind of yeah. like rough, uh, you know, unpolished sort of roominess of it. It's all just like so, um, such like so delicately, it's just such a delicate romance. It is a romantic song, you know, and roma- yeah. romance and sadness are often, I mean, you know, you could kind of say that about this whole, this whole album you know it's like romance and sadness um the the honestly it also this listening to this just in general um 
I'm in love with my sadness when it comes to... Because it feels like I poured it all into the pumpkins or a lot of it. And now it's like, you know, it's it's like this, this thing you can kind of visit and like feel and enjoy without it necessarily controlling your life or anything. So <laughs> right. it's, yeah, I, I think, you know, fondness and romance and sadness can definitely all be balled up into one feeling. And I think this song definitely does that. Yeah, the soundscape just paints a picture. It makes me think, like, I imagine, like, breaking into, like, a mansion or something mm-hmm. with your friends, and, like, you're all lounging around, and it's a, like, kind of cold cold winter day, and you're sitting in one room, and you hear Billy in the next room playing. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of, like, the visual I'm getting. Because, you know, I, you know how you do. You break into mansions with your friends. Dude, um, I did that. I'm not, I'm not. Did you really? It wasn't a mansion. We referred to it as the mansion. It was just a house that, like, oh, my yeah, friends. Oh, yeah, you're a buffalo boy. Yeah, my friends, um, parents were, like, not even house-sitting, just, like, the, they knew someone who gave them the key to their house, and we, like, went in there and would drink and stuff. It was terrible. It was, like, it was so fun. And it was just like a medium big, you know, it wasn't, it, yeah. but we called it the mansion because to <laughs> us it was a mansion, but just straight up a, a crime, you know, and we did it on right. multiple occasions. But um, yeah, it was very, yeah. uh, very 1979 video with just fewer people, you know, like different, oh, yeah. <laughs> different illicit teen stuff going on in different rooms. And yeah, I hope no, well, I know I'm not going to give any more details because I don't know if <laughs> I could still be arrested for this after all. This. Oh boy. Get him. Um, yeah. Well, like, like me in college, me and my morose friends would, uh, uh, get into, go into the graveyard and drink. Oh, hell yeah. I would, yeah. I would still do that to this day. We made sure not to like, of course we weren't like dancing on the headstones or anything no. like that or like sitting on, you know, plots. We weren't that fucking morbid or disrespectful, but disrespectful enough to go drinking and get high in the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> which honestly, when I'm dead and buried, I inv- I I I pray that young sort of like misfit teens come hang out over my old bones and drink and make out and you know i want that i want people to have fun in the graveyard have one on me yeah Um, literally literally (laughs) (laughs) um i kind of felt like this could have been a pablo honey or the ben's era radiohead song With different production. Yeah. When I was listening to it, I was like, oh, it kind of gives me a little bit of that sensibility. Yes. I mean, happening at the same time, probably both recorded in the same year span, right? Uh, Yeah, the Benz no, was wait. 95. Yeah. So the, yeah. both these albums came out in 95. Pro- yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great call. That definitely, it takes me back to that time. Both of these songs take me back to that time in the 90s and that time in my life, for sure. So, we've talked about the gray skies, but what happens when you've got no color in the skies? Well, we're, then we're talking about blank. I wish I was blank. I wish I was blank. 
says, a home demo recorded in my bedroom the day it was written. This one was never supposed to come out. I never really liked it much, but a lot of my friends said it was one of their favorite songs. At the last minute, it replaced a song called Towers of Rabble because I think I like that one even less. Brutal. Mm. There you go. So, yeah, what do you think, Pat? Um, I think this has... I always liked this song. I, listening to it now, I, I, I mean, I definitely think of, I think of the song "Ugly." I think of, um, in a weird way, kind of like a uh, a flip side to Zero, to the sort of Zero character. Like it, it almost think it almost made me think of sort of if like the Zero character. You know, zero, blank, nothing. If that's kind of like the devil on the shoulder, this is like the little angelic version of that or something. Or like, I don't know if you've read The Sandman, the comic books, but like when the the original black Sandman kind of like reincarnates into sort of the white Sandman, like it feels like it's of that same 90s, like I wish I was nothing, zero, loser, kind of like zeitgeisty thing that was happening but a totally different sort of um i don't know it feels like you're like like dying or something like becoming a ghost (laughs) and like floating up into the sky yeah it definitely has that kind of morbid sense to it uh for sure i think like i like i like the production on it you can hear him take a swig of water before he starts and it's uh, again another stripped down track he sings beautifully on it Again, warning, uh, at 14 years old, I was like, yeah, not for me, and I would skip mm-hmm. it. That would be, like, I think the only one on the the disc I would skip. But now, uh, I like it. I like. I mean, like, I can appreciate it for what it is. It's still not my favorite on the uh, EP mm-hmm. or the, the single, but I think it has its charm, for sure. Yeah, it's not my favorite either, but listening to it this time, this is definitely an example, an example of... This serves as, like, a nice bridge to the tonight reprise right. is it reprise how do you say it reprise i always said reprise but reprise is probably correct it's always something different than what we, <laughs> we thought, thought was we right. think it is yeah yeah but you know what i mean it's it, it it's it's like um you know by the t- it, it, before you know it you're into the you, you, you've come full circle on the on the on the cd and yeah. i keep saying cd because that's, you know yeah that's how we think of it Right, it, and it's it's not an album; it's more than a single. So I'm just saying CD, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it's sort of it, it it works in that kind of cohesive, you know, one big song sort of sense. Yeah, and I, I have to agree. I I do like it a little bit better than Towers of Rabble, um, but uh, I mean, they're both kind of have their quirky charm to it. Be yourself, don't be yourself. Speak your mind, don't speak your mind Stand alone, don't stand alone Be on your own, be all alone Yeah, it's funny how Billy says, but I didn't, I didn't like either of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so enjoy. Yeah, so I hope you like it. I didn't. <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, that brings us full circle to tonight. Reprise or reprise? You choose. As the wind of toys went down, muffling the sound of a life hidden under 
So Billy says uh, this was originally slated to go on towards the end of Melancholy. This one was hacked off in the name of When Is Enough Too Much. I had just come back from Chicago Bulls' tragic loss to the Orlando Magic in the playoffs and was very depressed. My voice was hoarse from so much shouting. Flood threw up his famous mics and I just did it live. I used my trusty Gibson acoustic with the rusty strings. Um, that's so funny. You know what? It is kind of strange that Billy didn't show up anywhere in the last dance documentary with his connection to the Bulls. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because that was the era um, when he was hanging out with them and going, you know, yeah. going to going to games and everything. Yeah. I mean, we got the Pearl Jam connection uh, in last in the last dance, but I was really surprised that we didn't get uh, any. Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan talk, but whatever. I, I took offense to that. Yeah, I, I am curious to hear more of his sort of basketball stories. He told one, he was talking about hanging out with Dennis Rodman, I yeah. believe, on the Joe Rogan podcast, <laughs> but we don't need to give more airtime to Joe Rogan. On yeah, he's podcast. got enough. He, he's got plenty. Um, I stupidly, because obviously it is on the vinyl uh, official album release, I... I was surprised to sort of uh, read, which then made perfect sense, that this was actually recorded like with Flood present, like in a studio context. I th- I just think of it as demo, you know? What yeah, I mean? like, like a Sadlands the, demo or something. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the, uh, like I said, it's obviously it was an official in one, you know, in at least one version of the original album, it was an official yeah track. But certainly feels like a demo, obviously. Well, on the deluxe reissue, there's a slightly different take uh, than the single version. It says most notable differences are the lack of voice cracking on the first "Believe in Me." Believe, believe in me. And a slight variation near the very end. Which version did you listen to um, this time around? Uh, I listened to the reissued, the remastered uh, version. Uh, I have my CD rips, not the actual CDs, but I have like a hard drive with my kind of old iTunes library. So I did listen to the um, original and I did hear that. Uh, that voice crack. Um, it's nice I to like kind of like that. Me too. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, well, it's it's so interesting with like, because um, you hear about, you know, people, artists of all kinds. Like, I don't have a specific. There's, I've been, I've heard a specific reference to like, I don't know, Rembrandt. We'll say some famous painter would go back thirty years later and like make changes to you know like a famous painting of theirs and i as a you know i could totally see myself wanting to do that with my own stuff but then as a fan of of whatever it is you feel so precious about the way that it came to you and the way you know it in your head is so i mean star wars i guess is the perfect example when they started i know i was thinking that but i didn't want to sound stupid no that's the exact (laughs) that's the perfect sort of modern times example of like you know george lucas and maybe maybe even there's some truth to the fact that at a certain point it's 
it's not yours anymore, you know, and maybe the, the fans, like, they do own it, you know, more than, I don't know. It's just, like, interesting to think about because I could see both sides of it, but the, the fan in me, like, doesn't, you know, like, um, I remember we were putting our, our mixes together, our pandemic mixes, and I had Glynis on there, which I also have the, I, I do have the original on this old hard drive, but, you know, it's a, sli- it's a slightly different take, or there's slightly different, but, you know, there's just little differences, both fine, but, like, it, it, it my ears, like, are so tuned into it, and I miss those original mistakes, even, you know? Yeah. I do feel like I think an artist should be able to control what type of way they want their creation to be seen. However, I do feel like you should give the consumer the option. So you should have both options available for them. I think George Lucas kind of notoriously, uh, apparently the reason why you can't really find the original 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 prints anymore and you can only find the remastered ones is because he doesn't want to give his ex-wife that money (laughs) oh really yeah there's some kind of i don't know if it's true or not griffin newman uh, a friend of ours uh who uh he he does uh george lucas talk show with uh our other friend connor ratliff uh that was something that they they had heard but they didn't really confirm of just being like yeah the (laughs) That part of that reason is that so his because his ex-wife did some of the editing on it, I believe, or did the editing. And because it's a brand new edit with the remasters, she doesn't get a portion of that money. So it was like some kind of petty reason for the original. But also like Jedi Rocks fucking sucks. Why did you put that in Return of the Jedi? Whatever. I don't want to be two grown men complaining about Star Wars. How original. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah. back to this song. I mean, I yeah, I I think it's kind of interesting that we're we're mentioning like the variations because on Instagram at the time of this recording, they've been giving these updates on the machina reissues mm-hmm. on like how that's going and how they can't find the original masters and they have to use stuff from dat tapes and they have to kind of do all these different combinations to do a new mix for it and that's why you get like different variations of vocals and stuff and right. kind of sucks because it's just kind of one of those things where it's like maybe it's a choice by the artist but then also sometimes it's a choice by necessity because True. they don't have the original stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah with machina which we will cover obviously i'm um i'm excited i think probably because i always, and i always really really um I was really Doug Machina, you know. I, I always really liked it. I didn't. I was still very plugged into the Pumpkins at that time. Continued to listen to it, but I don't have quite the same. I'm excited to hear the sort of um, the new context, the new sort of completest context for it. Like I think right. I can, um, I can separate what's burned into my head. Like in the in the case of Machina, I think. I'm excited to, to hear it the way it was intended, P- partly knowing like it wasn't sort of, it didn't sort of um, get to be birthed like the way that it was, you know, meant to or originally intended to. And there were problems, you know, plenty of yeah. problems in the band. So yeah, that one, I think, whereas like if Melancholy, you know, if they, if they gave this treatment to, to Melancholy, 
though I'd be curious, I think it would just be really hard for me to um, to accept or something, you know, just just yeah. for all those reasons we were just talking about. Yeah, I feel like uh, well, it's it's going to be interesting with that machine a reissue because uh, I guess it's not really technically a reissue; it's the mm -hmm. original concept of it. Because he ac actually said that they'll do a another reissue of the original album and have like the deluxe stuff with it but this is its own thing yeah yeah so, um yeah i will eventually before too long we'll get to covering machina and uh we'll yeah. see where we are we'll see what is out to cover and we'll decide what how we want to tackle yeah, it do it Um, but uh, back to this song tonight, reprise or reprise. I really love the alt lyrics on this. Like the uh, wind up toys, wind down gives mm -hmm. it even more of that. The world of melancholy feeling, you know? Yeah. Love that. That lyric. kind of like whimsy. Yeah. Um, I love the lo-fi recording quality of it. And the part that where he says, we'll crucify, you know, like that, that whole part I love. Like I would sometimes book in mixes, my own pumpkin mixes with this track. Mm hmm. Or put it before um, farewell and good night. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this version. I love that lyric. And this happens to be the only pumpkin song that sounds like my guitar abilities. This is like the only song. If, right. if someone put a gun to my head, which would be the only way I would probably stand up and play guitar in front of people currently, it, uh -huh. the only thing I could play would be like this version or a, acoustic version of Tonight Tonight. And, you know, I do pick it up and, and do that once in a while. And I do sing, you know, to myself, like the, the, the lyrics from this version, you know, as the, the wind up toys wind up. It's, this one is like a, a very um, special to me, you know, and I would kill for one of those original three vinyl I know. LPs, man. Not just for the collectability and the, you know, just having an original one, but for for listening purposes too. It's just the four final yeah. set is just an awful lot of flipping, and it's hard to um, hard to settle into a good groove. But anyway, I don't know, Pat. I mean, like, look, uh, Billy said that that was a, a big old joke. So, I mean, do you really want to spend time with a big old joke? I do. <laughs> yes, I, I do, do too. Yeah, I very much do. Yes, yes please. Yes, I do. It's hard because there's so many fakes, though, on the internet, so you have to be careful when you buy those. I know, and I think I have to put a moratorium on rebuying Melancholy for a while. I know. It's just, <laughs> it's just too much. Anyway. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah that that um, that pretty much covers our uh, coverage of, of this Tonight's Night CD. Um, did you have any final final thoughts on this this disc? No, I just think it's it's like you said, it's such a cohesive single uh, with B sides and just kind of again showing the strength of the Pumpkins at this era with their B sides are just you know better than some people's regular singles. Um, totally, that's just the power of the Pumpkins. Yeah, it? power of the Pumpkins. All right, well, we're going to turn that power up to not 31, not 32, but 33 with the 33 single. And the first song is, of course, 33. Way 
33. Uh, I feel like for me personally, I feel like we kind of grazed over. We had to get through so much through the Twilight episode that we kind of grazed through uh, or sped through the 33 mm-hmm. portion of it. I mean, we won't spend too much on it on this episode. Uh, but I do want to just point out how much I love the production on it and how listening to it again now gives me a new perspective on the song that maybe I didn't have at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all the little bells and whistles that you hear within this song. And it, I think we pointed out last time, it sounds like a country shoegaze mm-hmm. song, which is so cool. It's like its own little thing that you kind of hear a little bit of now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe like a band like The War on Drugs. I know that's a little bit more of like the Tom Petty Americana sound, but it has this kind of shoegaze element to it that kind of gives it this nice, lush sound to it, and the lyrics are amazing. I don't know. I really love this song. I love, love, love this song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have like, you know, I had a little thought listening to um, the new stuff, that there's this connection for me between 33 and Birch Grove. It's almost like um, these checkpoints in a person's life, like separated by, you know, a few decades. Like this feels like a young man kind of like, um, you know, the sort of mournfulness of like letting go and like trudging forward in your life, but your life is sort of like ahead of you still, you know, it's like letting go of the past and kind of, you know uh wading into the ocean yeah yeah yeah. whereas birch grove he you know and he he billy elaborated it's like about his kids and it's about it sort of seeing a a life when you're not here anymore and kind of this thing that is like you know that your kids are sort of like i don't know it it, you you know gonna be here after you're gone you're not gonna be here forever you know It, it, it and they both have the same they both hit the same kind of heartstrings for me too and it just struck me that this they both feel related in terms of like checkpoints in a person's life kind of like one maybe like you know soldiering on into adulthood and then years later sort of like seeing your kids trajectory which includes you not being around anymore at some point right anyway that's my fan theory that they're not even officially connected, but they, just for me, they kind of ring similar bells. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful. I love that interpretation. I think that's uh, well observed. Again, like I love the delayed vocals on the part, you know, that that, that play a part in this. If you listen with headphones, which you should, um, has so many interesting layers to it and how it mm-hmm. builds and builds and builds, like with a cool little drum shaker sound that comes in. And mm-hmm. I just love my favorite part of the song is when it's like topple to the earth, you know, like the yep. tomorrow's just an excuse. like always always gets me 
Mm-hmm. Like even even though I wasn't like the biggest fan of the song when it came out when I was fourteen or fifteen, I guess at the time, that part always hooked me. Yeah, that definitely. part it always got me in a certain. In, as the kids say, the feels. Uh, nobody says that anymore, but uh, it always got me in the heartstrings. And then especially now listening to it with a new perspective, it still has that same effect. And I really, really love the song. I really appreciate the song. Yeah. Maybe I didn't have that context then, but it, it's one of those that I, if I feel like the older I get, the more it resonates with me. It really grows with you, and you know the lyric of "So I pull my collar up and face the cold on yeah. my own." Like, how many times do you have to? Does a person have to do that? There's, you know, in their life, you know, there's yeah. there are always these moments where you kind of have to, you know, and also growing up in a cold play, you know, like yeah. it. it like it, it's just really it's a cold sounding song you yeah. know i grew up in buffalo you know he's a chicago you know it's like it feels like the kind of feeling of literally doing that like it, like the whipping cold at your back but you're oh, sort yeah. of like soldiering on towards whatever comes next it always even though i had never been to chicago at that time uh it, it made me feel like oh that's what chicago feels like it gave me the the lyrical imagery is so evocative in this song mm-hmm. and that definitely gave me the sense of Chicago and it wasn't until I visited Chicago in college almost moved to Chicago uh, in the early aughts and I kind of got a sense of how that feels in the winter I went there for New Year's one year oh um, yeah there you oh, go yeah man yeah and then living in New York as you know like we lived in New York for a while uh, you you know that sense of cold that when you definitely. have to walk to the subway or mm-hmm. you have to walk to your destination and that just biting just in your bones cold yeah, yeah, and this, this, you know, I, I also feel that the, like I've mentioned kind of before, you know, that the, the, like, I think the Chicago ness of this band, even though I'm not from Chicago, but I'm from a sort of adjacent, sort of similar type of Midwesternish kind of cold, you know, working classish kind of pl- like city. And, and now living in in LA in on the West Coast, there is like I observed moving from like living in New York State my whole life, and then moving out west. There's like a physical change that happens when you don't have your shoulders up all the time. <laughs> yeah. There's like a guardedness and kind of uh, <laughs> like having your spikes up that you develop when you grow up in a cold place. Oh yeah, that um, I think bonded me to this band further because certainly Billy is a prickly fella. We love him, but yeah. like it, it, there's some. I feel that there's some for me kind of um, you know it just contributed to the band kind of feeling like really relatable to me and almost like family or something yeah it, it, so anyway and and I also I was reading about how tonight tonight in this new uh, interview with Billy um, he was just describing how tonight tonight is like it's a song you know uh, it is like the the song version of like chicago to him it's literally about chicago it's about where he was born city by the lake so anyway just a little just a little um, geographical tangent there cool um yeah any final thoughts on 33 uh love it yeah me too it's it's one of my favorites uh absolutely beautiful like i said the lyrical imagery is just amazing yeah yeah Absolutely. Um, all right. So we talked about the last song, but now we're going to talk about the last song. This is the last song. 
So this song features a guitar solo by Billy's father, uh, Billy Corgan Sr., and was performed live only once at the Pumpkins' final show at the Cabaret Metro. Oh, fitting. There you yeah. go. And Billy says this is the only B-side written entirely after Melancholy was completed. I always seem to write little bursts of songs in the momentum of finishing an album, see Drown. Uh, I thought for a while about holding this song for our next record, but in the end I decided that it was so in the spirit of melancholy that it was best served as an extra track. I never intended to have a guitar solo, but my father was hanging out with me at the studio, so I asked him to play on it. Every time I hear this song, I burst with pride to hear my father's great and very influential guitar playing. That's very interesting. I'm interested yeah. it to, um, and he's working on a book, so I'm sure we'll, you know, when that happens, we'll learn more. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the sort of nuances of Billy's relationship with his father, especially, you know, him being a musician and so yeah. influential. But then also, you know, it seems like it wasn't all by any means uh, rosy between them. He talked about it in the Zane Lowe interview, uh, the one that he did for Seer um, on Apple Music. And he said something really beautiful, just like saying that he had a lot of issues with his father, but eventually he, and I'm paraphrasing here, you can uh, watch the interview for yourself, but saying that like he finally called up his dad and being like, you weren't perfect, but I understand why you had to do what you had to do as far as his drug addiction and stuff to get through the days and with life and it's like it it wasn't perfect but he's like i i, I understand where your head was at mm -hmm. i understand where you're coming from and i i forgive you and i i understand now so he can let go of that part and then move on right and i think that's yeah. where like their relationship is and that's that's hard to do you know like i i have my own you know issues with my father sure. that are unresolved and I would like to do that but I don't have that in me so it, it felt really beautiful for him to be able to be like look this is fucked up but like you know I, I understand what you why you did what you did mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and you you know it's like a painful thing that comes with maturity or doesn't come but if it does to sort of like realize or accept or make peace with the fact that even if you're that kind of like your parents are even if they're fucked up and have all sorts of problems for whatever reason they were that was their best you know like yeah. even if their best sucked or, or at times was not very good at all like it, it you know anyway um yeah i kind of heard him in that in another interview recently referring to his father and music and how 
he was such an influence but then at the on the other hand he was like forbidden he, music was such a part of his upbringing but he was also sort of forbidden to participate in it you know even though his father was a right musician so it was kind of a um both an act of rebellion but also like a very natural thing to to become a musician himself yeah I, I feel like just kind of based off of the lyrics too, it almost feels like it's a song to his dad. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it, definitely, that's a good call. And it, it, I mean, and you know, Billy, is, he's no like. Perhaps that's why. It, it, perhaps it was no coincidence that his dad wound up playing um, playing on it. You know, yeah. That's that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And this, you know, it does feel like this album. Uh, as we've talked about before, if if sort of Siamese Dream was sort of diving in and stirring up all the childhood um, feelings, this album was sort of like marching forward into adulthood, you know, right. le- leaving that stuff behind. So that that makes sense. I mean, the song, the last, this is the last song I'll sing for you. You know, it certainly yeah. would support that theory. Yeah, because then, you know, unfortunately, the next album focuses a lot on, you know, the loss of his mother, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it feels like this is kind of him being like, all right, I'm leaving that part of Siamese Dream and Melancholy behind. Yeah. And I'm moving into adulthood, into new, you know, a new area. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I, I don't know, maybe we're projecting onto this song, but I do feel like that's kind of like the feeling I get from it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a great song. I love hearing that Mellotron in it. And then the turn that it takes at 218, that forgive and forget me part. like a door it feels like we're it's like proto a door like we're getting a taste yeah of what we're gonna hear on a door to me it mm-hmm. feels like that yeah it, that that's that's been a cool thing about revisiting the, this whole melancholy batch of songs is that you do hear you, i i've noticed that in in a few places where you get glimmers of what's to come next on a door or even machina or even beyond yeah um, any final thoughts on the last song? Nope. I, 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 I'm a fan. Me too. next song on this cd is the aeroplane flies high turns left looks right
titled Disconnected, this song was. Um, this is what Billy says. A brief snippet of this tune, which was originally entitled Disconnected, is found in the Pasticcio medley. This is a melancholy riff that I can never seem to find a place for. Flood didn't like this one much. Too heavy metal, Flood said, a common complaint. And I never finished it until right before it was recorded. Essentially a new song with an old riff with spoken word bits courtesy of my friend. Was that not Billy doing the spoken word bits? I mean, at the beginning he is, but I think that, yeah. uh, I think it was, I, I always thought it was like uh, Jimmy Chamberlain or uh, somebody from the Frogs. I always Someone thought. else comes in and there's like the down-pitched, affected yeah. uh, one, which could be anybody, I guess. Right. Um, uh but yeah, so Billy says the solo, funnily enough, was quickly thrown down because I had to go to a funeral. Bummer. It was supposed to be a reference for where to pick up when I came back. But when I returned, I was surprised by how much I liked it. And there you go. And this is one that was on the Gravity demos as well. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I oh, I mean, this was on my mix, you know, like the pandemic mix. Yeah. But it's just one that always like when I first heard when I got the box set and I heard this song, I was just like. Fuck, I, I just love it so much, and I still continue to love it because it's just so heavy and so, like, just crushing. It feels like, I, like even at the beginning, that scrape. Mm-hmm. Like once I heard that riff, once it like blast in, I was just like, forget it. Yeah, this is one of my favorite pumpkin songs of all time. Mm-hmm. There was like, I, I was done. Yeah, yeah, it's relentless. It's like, re- it's like oppressive, kind of in a good way. It it really yeah. it feels like being run over by like a slow moving steamroller or, or tank right. or something. It's just it, it just doesn't it doesn't let up, um, and it kind of st- you know it it builds too. It's got the it's got this sort of like thick, heavy like dirge you know that it starts in, and then as the as the layers, you know, um, it, it almost sounds like it's about to end, like around the five minute mark, but it's kind of yeah. just warming up. Um, and this sort of, there's like a sustained guitar sto- solo from that I point on that really adds to the build, you know? Um, it's, yeah, 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 it's just like a big, heavy, heavy meal of a of a song yeah it felt like a heavy epic you know how like usually they'd go go quite quiet loud quiet loud but mm-hmm. this throughout just felt like very like like black sabbath type mm-hmm. of drudge you know and mm-hmm. like just heavy like it kind of feels like doom metal yeah a little bit to me and like that i always love that like the last two minutes with the solo and just being like when he says always knew i couldn't save you know like that whole part mm-hmm. And then how it calms down into the, the, the acoustic version of it, the lo-fi acoustic ending. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool.
I, I just always love this song and how the heaviness and the bleakness of it. Um, I, I, yeah, the recording part, we would see like that played again in Glass and the Ghost Children and some other uh, songs where they would play with the tape recorder and like speeding it up and slowing it down. And uh, yeah, I always wondered who that friend was. My, my One of my best friends that I had a band with in high school, um, he always made fun of the part where he goes, I've always been afraid to die, but I think I'm more afraid to laugh. And he would always like say that part back to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he always thought it was funny. I was like, shut up, man. But you know what, though? Awesome. I feel that that part is making fun of itself. You know, the way right, that that's yeah. said and the way it's affected. Like, I, that's the thing. Like, the, the audio snippets, one could argue that maybe it's, like, a little self-indulgent or something. Or indulgent yeah. or something. But, A, the Pumpkins you know some of their best shit is when they decide to be indulgent and really go for yeah. it melancholy is indulgent and it you know it is amazing great. so and i do think there's a self-awareness in these audio these sort of journal like note to self kind of yeah. uh agent cooper you know into into the uh, uh. tape recorder thing and that's yeah. that to me proves it that very part is sort of like you know it's said in like a mocking kind of way and i've even heard bands to me the national comes to mind because i feel like they've done this on their last couple albums there are songs where they kind of cut to that and i like it better here because i feel like this has it's i don't know it fits within the context of the band more it fits within the context of the band and the context of the song which yeah. is never meant to be a small sort of poppy, catchy song. This is meant to be sort of a like a, an oppressive experience, you know, w- right. w- with a lot of stuff thrown into it. So um, I think it totally works. Um, For sure. Song. I mean, the, the way he, I mean, I like, it's so funny that you mentioned that because now that gives me a new, a pre- even more appreciation for the song of like the Agent Cooper type of, you know, uh, the notes. It kind of gives it more of a cinematic feel where it's like, to this song it's almost like a little cinematic scene yeah where billy is like some kind of like almost like a um to me it has kind of this like uh hp lovecraft kind of thing where it's like the journals you know the the mountains of madness type of you know like saying like what they're observing the horrors that he's observing because just the way that it kind of goes into like when he says turns left looks right and then he goes it just has Mm -hmm. this like so that's so funny that you say that because it kind of gives it this almost like horror element, like Twin Peaksy, yeah. you know, Lovecrafty kind of horror story element to it. That's so cool. I never even really thought of it that way. Yeah, and it wouldn't be long. It's like an interview. Yeah, and it, it wouldn't be long before Billy intersected with the David Lynch world too in Correct. a couple of years. But but with this in my naive child brain, not brain. I just didn't know. Like I not knowing how like b-sides work or whatever i assume i can't because this came out a year after the melancholy album i this always gave me a strong image of like the band on tour and these little audio things are like billy doing notes to self on the tour bus which may have been but maybe just like on a previous tour or something and even the aeroplane flies high you know like the, the feeling of travel and sort of like being on you know being in transit for a long time i just always sort of envisioned this as sort of like a, a kind of collage that was put together on tour but I don't yeah. think that was actually the case. It always surprised me that this wasn't the last track of the box set uh, 
But I'll get into how why I think the last track of the box set actually is pretty appropriate. But yeah. Um, all right. Well, the aeroplane flies high, turns left, looks right, and then it transforms into Transformer. says flood thought transformer was almost like a novelty song but i always liked that crazy go-go beat recorded in sydney australia and chicago this song has about nine rhythm guitars all playing the same three notes also many of the guitars were sampled out and destroyed going back in you could definitely hear that for sure and i kind of agree with flood a little bit because to me this kind of sounds like sunset strip kiss type of mm-hmm. rocker this, I, I was thinking this would fit in nicely among the covers on the uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wing single. This Absolutely. sort of Alice with Cooper clones. stuff and clones. Yeah, it, 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 it's it, the the bop to the bop, but also the kind of um, the, the, yeah, it, it does have a novelty feel to it. But then it kind of gets into the it. Then it gets like it does have elements of a Pumpkins original, which it is obviously. But it it totally feels like a cover from some band that doesn't exist. You know? Yeah, it totally does. It does like almost like it's like a a deep uh, cut from Cheap Trick. Yeah. Right, which obviously, you know, there's a strong connection there. I did it, but it does fold into the greater melancholy tapestry too, because lyrically they mention live wire, which of course, you know, is is a line from 1979 or a reference mentioned in 1979 uh, as well. Oh, I love the lyric, cherry. Does he say cherry onion firefly? Love that lyric. Me too. Um, also, lots of fruit references on the on, on the Sierra album, which we, you know <laughs> talk about elsewhere. But yeah, this song kind of like um, though it's bouncy and it's got a kind of throwbacky beat to it. It it does it is sort of like a it's a nasty song too. It's got the feel of like someone spitting in your face. You know? Yeah, but like in that way, that's like kind of like you know like rock kids. You know. Mm-hmm. Being like, fuck you, can't tell me what to do. Like a Days of Confused, but on steroids. Totally, yeah. And there's definitely like a nostalgic vibe to it. Even the hit it, like it's got, that's like, a, you know, it's that... like a <laughs> teen garage band feel. That that part's so funny to me because it's so, it doesn't really match what comes after that because he's so like, it sounds so like playful and innocent because mm-hmm. it almost sounds like it's almost like he decided to say it at the very last moment. 
right. kind of like a little bit of a weaker, like, hit it, hit it. You know, it's kind of sure, just kind yeah. of, like, you know, playful. And then it just goes into this kind of all-out rocker that sounds like it could have probably been a song off the Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead soundtrack. <laughs> right. With yes. Ugly Kid Joe, you know, like that kind yeah, of yeah. sound. I always thought it was funny. It says she's as happy as a turtle. Oh, really? That's, man. But yeah, playful lyrics there. Yeah, and I was like, is that a reference to the turtles so happy together? Like, I don't know what the connection is. So happy together. Oh, good, good guess. That, yeah. that might very well be. Or maybe Michelangelo uh, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, she certainly just, wasn't Raphael. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. He was angry all the time. That was his thing. Yeah. But yeah, uh, happy as a turtle, happy as Michelangelo. You know, a cowabunga dude. You know, party. Yep. Hell yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what yeah. I. That's my guess. <laughs> that's a good guess. Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, famous toys of the '80s and cartoons. Come on. We're making all the connections here. I also love the distorted ring modulated vocals at the end and how it just mm-hmm. kind of abruptly cuts off. It's kind of a fun little uh, accent to the, the song. There's so many like little cool sounds going on. If you listen with headphones, you can hear a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, speaking of hearing, I can. Do you hear what I hear? The holiday season is upon us, and I hear the bells. The Bells. Da Bells. Uh, James uh, Eha says, <laughs> I wrote The Bells two or three years ago, and each instrument was seemingly recorded about six or seven months apart, not really on purpose, but just as a demo that, I, that kept growing. Uh, I recorded the acoustic guitars at my old apartment, and then after I moved, I recorded Eric Rimschneider's cello, cello part in my basement. Eric was also the cello player on Soma and Siamese Dream. Uh, then for this single, I had another friend, Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne and Ivy, play piano, and then Darcy and I did the vocals. I like this song because it is very simple, but has a twist in the time signature, sort of, in the Nick Drake style. So that's what uh, he said in Guitar World in 1997. So when he said three years ago, you know, uh, take it in that context. So it was after Siamese Dream, he had kind of started to write this. And um, man, uh, the late Adam Schlesinger, I've already, you know, praised Adam and Fountains of Wayne and his work. Uh, just one of the best pop rock writers uh, of our generation. And it's so sad that he passed away from COVID. Uh, the tragic, tragic loss. But it, the the piano is beautiful on this and mm-hmm. the cello. Uh, what, what are your, uh, this is also recorded at Bug Studios. Uh, but like, what, what are your thoughts on this, Pat? This is one that I, I had almost forgotten about this song entirely. Um, but I, I really like it. I, I, 
there's such an innocence to to the and simplicity to so many of the James Eha songs, you yeah. know, uh, which feels uh, intentional, you know. Um, it almost feels like, well, not that Billy didn't do his share of of those types of things, but it almost feels like rebelling is against his own band or something. But yeah. I, I love the Dar- I love hearing the Darcy vocals. It's very shoegazy. It had a um, uh kind of bell and sebastian-y feel to me um more so which even though james's stuff is like very soft usually it doesn't usually sound like bell and sebastian but this this kind of did Maybe with like a tinge of the Vaselines or something like that, yeah, like kind of lo-fi, pre-alternative, like '80s-ish stuff. But yeah, I, I I dig this one, and I like how James sort of it's he. There's like a vocal thing where he where he kind of digs in here here and there. A little I wrote bit. that like gets a little throaty here and there, which which I like. It feels like he's trying something slightly different with his own vocals. So yeah, I, I dig it. Yeah, the way he really gives it when he says "I never" like there's a way yeah. that he sings that. I I love the way that he sings that. Jesus, Jesus. I never ever felt afraid. Did you hold on to? Did you make it through? You. Mm-hmm. I, there's so much about this song that I, I completely just forgot about. Like, like you said, this one like really flew under my radar. And revisiting it just because I've, I've loved revisiting all the James tracks on the Aeroplane Flies High. Um, and I, I, this one, I really just, the piano is beautiful. The pre-chorus is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. And I, yeah, I, I can't say enough great things about this song. I think it's probably like, I don't know if it's my favorite James track, but I really, really love it. Yeah, same here. I don't think it's my favorite James track. Though. I can't I can't tell you which one, my, though, though um, Go from Machina yeah. is, is up there. But that's probably said sadly as well. Yeah. Um, even a night like this, but anyway, there's I, like, a ton. I love the boy. I mean, I think like oh, Joe right, and the, the boy, boy are is, probably my favorites. Yeah, yeah, and those those feel related too. They're both kind of or like, believe. Um, I mean, goddamn it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, he should make a solo album. Um, <laughs> we should cover it. Well, that's that. Yeah, we'll t- we'll we'll talk offline about that. But yeah, we should we should cover James's. Um, solo album or albums in albums, some order yeah we'll, we'll table this you guys don't have to hear you don't yeah, have to we'll, be here for our staff meeting no, but we're gonna give you access to our google calendars and our <laughs> google documents that that we plan out the show and you know and you just schedule stuff for us yeah start plugging in times that work for you for us <laughs> to record and listen and we'll make it work uh we'll fill out a doodle yeah right do they, yeah, do they still have doodles? I don't know. We'll I table that remember. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Google has tried a lot of stuff. Remember yeah. Google Wave? Anyway, um, speaking of waves, there's nothing more blue than the ocean except for my blue heaven. When whippoorwills come, evening is night, I hurry to my 
says, It was written in the 1920s by Walter Donaldson with lyrics by George A. Whitting, or Whiting. Uh, sung by many, the song was made popular by crooner Gene Austin and was a number one hit for 13 weeks in 1928. Selling over 5 million copies, the recording became one of the best-selling singles of all time. The lyrics of the song portray the familiar ideal of an elusive American dream, though its description of independence and having a peaceful refuge away from the chaos of the city. Although poetic in nature, the lyrics are still very appealing to multitudes of individuals, evoking clear and beautiful imagery. Billy says, I've wanted to cover this song for five years, but found it impossible to learn, as I can't seem to learn anyone else's song. Written in 1927, this song is well known, a well-known standard. I thought about doing this more futuristically, but in the end, opted to let it be beautiful in its simplicity. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to hear a little, because I knew this was an old standard, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. Um, and it definitely fits in the world of melancholy in in that melancholy's aesthetic visual and sometimes in terms of the sound is kind of like a referring to sort of a hundred years ago type of t time period you know what i mean yeah. like it, it, it but um just hearing how it was the number this sort of sheds a little bit more i don't know if billy knew it's like chart position but I I find it really interesting that Billy, a guy with big, big musical ambitions, set his sights on something. He like I could definitely see how he'd be interested in sort of cracking open a hit record from 1928. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it's it, it, like just kind of trying to understand like you you know what I mean? Because I feel like he's he's as we've talked about he's he's not ashamed to want to kind of shoot for the stars. You know, yeah. in terms of creativity, but also popular popularity so uh, it, it's interesting it adds it adds a new dimension to it learning that than what i thought of it before was sort of just billy kind of indulging an urge to kind of do an old you know an old ditty you know yeah a dusty old ditty i i only know this song because of the steve martin movie my blue heaven right <laughs> uh yeah. that was my prior uh knowledge of the song but yeah i th i think you know, having the context again, like kind of when we've been covering this stuff, I have a new appreciation for it because I kind of would skip it. I'd have to be in the right mood for it. Totally. Uh, when I, I'd usually kind of end at, um, you know, Transformer uh, or The Bells when I'd listen to this and kind of be like, I don't know. I just, my mom loved this cover. Uh, right. It was one that she was like, oh, I really like this. But uh, I, I, I like how much he tried to duplicate the original. I like the simplicity in it. I think it's fun. Uh, I love the way at the end you can, if you turn it up, you can hear him closing the piano. Mm -hmm. And that's something I noticed for the first time last night, I think, or maybe I had forgotten about that aspect of the song, but when I was listening on headphones, and I, I to me, it felt like, oh, this song is such a great way I, I, at first, I thought like, why don't why not just end it with the airplane flies high? But it's so dark and heavy, and I think this gives it a sense of a nice way to close the door on melancholy mm -hmm. on that era because totally. it feels like kind of that comfy haze after a party or an event. And you're like, woo, we did it, we we pulled yeah. it off. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you're having a glass of champagne and. Uh, you know, uh, you're just kind of relaxed being like, can't believe we did it. We got through the year. 
and yeah yeah it has that feeling to me and then i know that the door will be reopened when we visit the melancholy machina spiritual sequel albums that are going to be coming out in the next years uh but mm-hmm. to me it felt like oh yeah this is an appropriate ending to the melancholy era yeah, it definitely is. And there's nothing more, there's nothing that says that more than the sound of a piano closing. Yeah. I love when you can hear that on a, a record. To, listening to Tori Amos, you get that once in a while, oh, yeah, where it'll be like the, just a really satisfying either. There's one song, I think it's Tear in Your Hand, where like there's like a pause and then you just hear a little like knock on the piano and then it goes back into it. And yeah. it's like so satisfying. I wait for that little moment. And Tori but, Amos um, doesn't get the the credit she I that was another artist I revisited during my chemo where I went I went through her mm-hmm. uh, discography and man such amazing stuff that she has she's amazing she is real she's she's up there for me on my personal uh, Mount Rushmore she's like um, I was listening I was dig- at, at you know while digging into a little bit later I got into the pumpkins first but like. I started digging into her. There was definitely a period of time where I was ingesting large amounts of Pumpkins and Tori Amos albums like on a regular basis. And it's, yeah, she's she's really good. There are a couple albums that I sort of lost track of in the in the aughts but her one that her most recent one from a couple of years ago is is also pretty, yeah, it's um, pretty, great. pretty solid. Yeah, um, love Tori Amos, shout out to Tori Amos. Um, if you're listening, Tori, we love you. <laughs> we do, yeah, we really do. Um, yeah, this song get I, I I I detected a little. It had sort of a Beatlesy feel, as it wore on, like like sort of little D- Beatles ditties, like Honey Pie or yeah, something. Yeah, like, like a white album the track. Little, totally white album track, and it, it, he does like little kind of vocal flourishes that kind of sound like Paul, kind of like d- would do on a on a specific type of Beatles song, right. um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I similarly didn't listen. I would, you know, not always listen to this one, but it, it definitely, like you said, is a perfect way to close out this uh, box set and this massive, massive uh, era in in Pumpkin's history. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's it for us. I mean, closing the door on the melancholy era for now. Yeah, for now, and then we'll, you know we'll reopen it again in, in some new way. But um, yeah, and and if if you're listening to this in real time, we are also kind of closing the door on a monumental year in pump cast history. Yeah, it, granted, it was our first year in, in our history, but it was also a, a big one in many, many, many ways. Um, so yeah, we really want to thank you all for for listening and for all the people who've jumped on board to listen to this podcast and communicate with us and all our guests that we've gotten to talk to. It's been an amazing, I can't come, you know, between this and having my daughter and like other, you know, as fucked up as this year was, I personally don't feel I can complain because um, there's been a lot of bright spots and the new pumpkin stuff and getting to talk about it and, dig into it on the show has definitely been a a major bright spot and i'm excited for what the year ahead has for this podcast too because we got a lot of 
so much stuff. And now we're starting to get into the material that maybe we um, didn't give the right value or time to when they first came out. And then also we have some pretty great guests that are on the horizon as well. Um, hopefully some other stuff. Again, putting it out to the universe. Pat and I, we want to direct a Pumpkins video. We have yeah. the experience. Let us do it. We have yeah. 20 songs on these albums, on this uh, new albums here. Uh, let us take a tiny one. Let us take one and let's uh, do a video for it, please. Yeah, and and if not, you know, we'll, we're patient. We can wait until this 33 song uh epic comes out but yeah. it's we yeah we're putting it out there we want it to happen and frankly we think it could happen and if and not should then, happen maybe for shiny three with the 10 extra songs and if not then then maybe after <laughs> yeah you know what though the best part is it it it's um it, it feels like we're ending this year with the beginning of of um just lots more to to come and it isn't uh the best part is it's so fun looking back on on these older records and digging into them and digging into what they meant to us then and what they mean to us now but nostalgia is but one element of what's happening right now in the pumpkins world and it's certainly you know the one of the most exciting things is the great new stuff that's happening so we're going forward into the future uh in 2021 and we're embracing join us yep the future is being embraced on the smashing pumpcast if you want to reach out to us you can find us on twitter at pumpkins podcast or on Instagram at Smashing Pumpcast and cast is spelled K-A-S-T. You can also email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com and cast is spelled K-A-S-T as well. So yeah, reach out to us. Uh, let us know how you're enjoying the show. If you want to share any stories, if you want to share any links to downloads, that would be great. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for making this a great year and for making this podcast worth doing. Yes, totally. And until we meet again, which will be soon, we wish you all a farewell, a good night, and a happy, happy new year. year.